part of getting ready for this is uh, a lot of physical therapy. And um, it's, I'm finding it good practice for this balance of the uh, body and mind, the internal and the external uh, worlds. So the external being the body, being physically aware of the body and the internal, you know, seeing if I can balance with wisdom, you know, my, my duty of doing these exercises that are quite, that can be quite painful um, with my wholesome intention to do them and so that I'm best prepared for the surgery, which isn't for many, many months yet. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple way to practice with the challenges that, um, you know, probably many of us, myself, are finding in just dealing with all the circumstances of the world right now. So one of the ways that I'm balancing, staying very present with external stimuli and internal responses is just not reading the news as often as I have been. So I can, uh, get in the habit of reading all sorts of you know, European news and comparing it with American news. And, and there's just so much to unbalance me these days, feel very sad or, or even angry about going on in the world that it's, it's hard to stay steady. So I'm finding value in paying attention to a sense of external and internal balance just through my physical therapy. So I, I read some news this morning that was unsettling for me and reminded myself that this isn't, um, this isn't helping right now. I'm off balance. I can, I can feel a sense of uh, almost, almost a sense of, I mean, a little bit of ill will, but more than that, a little bit of fear uh, coming up. Alistair's family is in Europe and we travel over there. He's, he's uh, from Scotland, so he's British and we go over there quite often. And we have plans to travel in Europe and one of our destinations um, is no longer safe for British citizens at this time to travel. That was sad. And, and then I noticed it was somewhat irritating in the sense of whose fault is this? And as soon as I start looking for blame of my feeling uh, out of balance, out of... Uh, and it's beginning to suffer a little bit. As soon as I see that, then I can come back according to these practices, these teachings, this guidance that we have received for many years now. 
and see where am I off balance? What is tipping me toward ill will? What's tipping me toward a little bit of fear? Can I come back? Because it's a place of balance, a place where we're not making decisions from a place of fear or anything unwholesome, a place from fear or a place of ill will. That's where we can understand the wise action or the wise non-action to take the beneficial for myself and those around me. Making decisions of how to take action from an unbalanced place doesn't help me or those around me or anyone that I'm aiming at trying to help. So I came across a teaching by Ajahn Suchito that I want to read today. And this is a, a longer reading than I ever do uh, on Sunday Sila. But it was, when I read it, 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 it really helped me to uh, gain a seat in a place of steadiness. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, maybe it will help you as well. Uh, in, in a time where we can get thrown off balance very easily. Um, I, I find with Ajahn Suchito's words, it feels to me as if he is, you know, he, like he's speaking, he's, he's gotten inside <laughs> of me and he's moving things around and helping me to regain balance. And then, and, and in that way, I know what to do after his words are done. And then I forget, so I have to go back and read him again. And so I'll go ahead and, and read this. Um, and if, it, if there's anything in here that's helpful, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. Just set it aside. Um, Again, I will, do we have books downstairs on Parami? Do you know, do we still? So Ajahn Sajito has a book downstairs that's called Parami. What's, what's its whole title? Do you know? Can you remember? 10 steps, uh, no, that's a different one. Yeah, very good. So can you say that louder? It's a beautiful book and it's really supportive. And, and especially in times like this, this did not come from that. Ajahn Suchito has a blog and this is off of his blog. And he wrote this December of 2022. Ajahn Suchito is from Britain, he's from England. And he um, was inspired to write about what he felt and experienced when the queen died. And then he goes into how this can relate to the teachings. It's called holding it together is a noble skill. Of all the deaths that this year has brought, I found the decease of Queen Elizabeth II to be cause for reflection on what it takes to hold things together. As the head of state, icon of traditional Britishness, placemaker for history and belonging, she was carrying weight. This was because of what the monarchy represents. Its current role is to carry the myth and the ethos of a nation through the turbulence of political and economic circumstances. 
by presiding with calm and a sense of all will be well over the end of Britain's empire and its steady decline as a global power, even to the point where it is hovering on the brink of fragmentation, she sustained the image of a well-ordered and quietly dignified nation as something that people could at least measure their governments against. By being head of the church, even as it loses relevance uh, to most of the people whose faith she is supposed to be the defender of, her commitment still gave reference to an inner life of values and virtue. By placing duty ahead of any personal wishes and undertaking innumerable tours of duty with cheerful smile and extended handshake, she was a reminder that leadership is supposed to be about service rather than personal gain and power. The funeral cortege presented her predicament well. Her coffin was placed on a gun carriage and surmounted by the crown. The bare fact, despite the mansions and the privilege, was of a person being held in the grip of the state, complete with its military underpinning and regal cap. Whatever the nation, the emblems, were all in the grip of that power, even though it fails to hold us together and barely holds itself together. So it was also impressive that she held herself together personally and ethically in the locked-in role under the glare of media scrutiny for 70 years. That took patience, equanimity, and above all, resolve. In Buddhist terms, the woman had some parami. Holding it together personally takes some skill. And if you expect that, look for that to happen in terms of professional success and personal drive. Take a look at the profile of the great and the mighty fraud, sex scandals, violent criminality, suicides, sleaze, human minds that have lost touch with values. So it is, unless people have faith in something beyond the material world, something that connects them to the welfare of others, they lose balance and integrity, all outer, no inner. How to integrate the outer and the inner? As one of the more renowned teachings of the Buddha, Satipatthana Sutta, notes one practices mindfulness of body, feeling, mind, and its programs internally, externally, and both together. The standard interpretation of those phrases internally, externally, is that it means with respect to oneself and to other people, which is a good idea. But the idea of watching other people and imagining what they're feeling and what their mind states are seems impractical and subject to misinterpretation and projection. Can I really know whether someone is actually feeling pain or bluffing? Can I with clear mindfulness witness someone else's mind as contracted or elevated? There's another way of understanding this internal external in the Siddhaka Sutta, a sutta within the book of the Satipatthana teachings, the Buddha uses the analogy of a young acrobat who is balanced on a pole that is being carried by an elder acrobat who himself is balancing on a pole. Pretty scary, huh? So the older acrobat recommends that they look out for each other, to which the younger acrobat's rejoiner 
is that he should look after himself and she'll look after herself. And that will be the wisest ways to maintain balance. The Buddha approved of this, adding that this is analogous to each individual developing and cultivating the establishments of mindfulness of body, feeling, heart, mind, and its programs. So rather than be mindful of what other people are doing, establish mindfulness on your own body. For an acrobat, that takes an unwavering focus on internal qualities of energy, tension, strain, connectedness, as well as on the external contact with the pole and the awareness of the body within its space. The point is made even more directly in the following. Here it's not about balancing, but a kind of juggling. The analogy is of a man who is to carry a bowl brimming with oil on his head through a crowd of people while the most beautiful girl in the land dances in front of him. Should he spill a drop of that oil by being distracted, a man walking behind him with drawn sword will cut off his head. Do you think he'd be mindful of anyone else's body but his own? Internally, how steady and balanced it is, and externally, how it moves through the crowded space. After all, if the Buddha meant internal, yourself, external, other people, why didn't he say so? I just snipped a paragraph, the following paragraph out. Um, if you want to read this, read this with that paragraph in, I'll be putting this on the e-group. Um, and if you want to, to read the whole thing, just go to our e-group. And if you don't know how to do that, go to our website and go down to the bottom of the page and you'll see a way to join into our e-group. So to most fundamentally hold us together, we have the internal, the somatic sense of balance, the inner sense that the body has and through which it maintains balance. And the external, as the body's tactile sense through which it knows where it is in the world around it by the pressures, warmth, and so on of the skin. You can also understand internal as an introspective sense, how a body knows each part in relation to the whole, and the external as the proprioceptive sense, how it knows how to move through space. Try practicing that. That's what an acrobat does. Through such mindfulness, the body has a presence which is grounded, steady, and able to discharge stress. It allows us to remain open without getting shredded. In this way, it supports the internal qualities of the mind. Maintain these, the Buddha says, and Mara, the force of delusion and ignorance, will not get you. However, a mind that extends externally without mindfulness is wide open to those forces. We can lose our bodies, our natural rhythms, and our ability to rest and regenerate in that insistent tide of speculation, plans, media, possibilities, and urgent to-do lists. Caught in this tide, we can also lose a vital aspect of our minds, wisdom. Let me explain. The Buddha noted that the process of thinking consists of two functions, conceiving or bringing an idea to mind, vitaka, 
and fully sensing and evaluating that which has been brought to mind, vichara. It's rather like the twofold actions of a hand. The fingers grip something, roll it around in the palm, and the palm fully senses and evaluates that thing. Problem is this takes time, a second or more valuable time. And in the high-speed world of technology, such a mature process is a waste of time. The result is attention disorder, automatic behavior driven by stimulation, and a deficiency in terms of the reflective thinking that will give us a reference to whether an idea is ethically sound or what the consequences could be of acting on any specific idea. In automatic mode, conscious concern, perspective, and sensitivity are reduced or bypassed. People lose heart, get overwhelmed with uncomfortable thoughts, and obsess. In other words, if our minds are directed outwards as external is supposed to mean, this is not necessarily for the welfare of others. If, however, our attention is directed internally, we can evaluate, reflect, and come into the heart. This internal is therefore for the welfare of others. Because if we steady and clarify that internal base and bring that to bear on how we speak, plan, and consider our actions, that is, if we bring the internal and external together, that will result in, in skillful behavior with regard to other creatures. This is how mindfulness internally, externally can hold body, heart, and mind together. Getting into the body, using that to steady the mind. The beautiful truth is that if one is in balance and stays whole, the mind will settle into clarity and empathy. That's the default when ignorance and stress fall away. Then as the Buddha also teaches in the Sadaka Sutta, one protects oneself by protecting others through the cultivation of patience, harmlessness, kindness, and empathy. These internal qualities emanate from a rightly balanced mind and that finds its basis in mindfulness of body. This is because if you bear the whole external body in mind, that is spread your awareness over the skin boundary, you become more receptive. Skin, unlike the eyes, is not directional. It does not aim for anything. It receives and refers sense impact to its internal base. Try practicing that. That's what an acrobat does. It receives and refers sense impact to its internal base. Like this pinprick is unpleasant, but it's not pushing me over in a deadly threat. I can remain calm and stable as I deal with this. A more common and useful application could be, there is nothing squeezing or obstructing my chest or back. I have space. I'm not under pressure. I can remain composed. By doing so, we can discharge the sense of pressure of time, option paralysis, and having so much to do by bringing the heart away from the flashing lights and notions of the external direction and settle it into the groundedness of the body. Steady the mind, heart, internally. And as it settles, Awareness opens to the value of skillful action 
and empathy for others. So this is how mindfulness internally, externally can hold us together. It has worked for millennia for those who practice it, even as empires and states have come and gone. Meanwhile, in terms of the public domain, wouldn't it be good if people actually spoke straight from the heart rather than from the screen or the script? Wouldn't it be refreshing if public figures actually spoke truth, words that are useful, worth remembering, well-grounded, rather than worn out slogans and empty promises? That is, get out of your head, your script about who you are and how things should be, and be here, receptive, open and grounded. Give up what's not your priority. Instead, regain nobility without the headlines or the paparazzi. Yeah, I, was, I read that this morning and I was very inspired and um, just decided I, I can't say anything better than that. <laughs> so I'm just going to read it and share it with you. So I just wanna encourage us to take what you can from this, the benefit of balancing our internal and external being so that we can tap into um, a solid place of wisdom when we, before we take action, before we speak, uh, before we respond coming from a place of wisdom, as he had said in there, when we, when we are not caught up with um, unwholesomeness or, or the delusion of what's going on in our mind or an uncomfortable feeling in the heart, when we're not caught up, we're in the seat of wisdom and kindness. And that's the place where we're able to take impactful, wholesome action. And we can scale ourselves. We can see how well are we doing in this practice by just watching things that don't throw us off. So for me, physical therapy, my physical therapy is painful. Some of it, a couple of the exercises is painful, not all of it. And every, it's the first thing I do in the morning before I even make the bed. <laughs> so I get up and I do my exercises. And every single morning, my mind goes, you don't have to do it today. You know, it's good to give your body a rest. You know that. You should give your body a rest. How about today? How about right now? And even as it's saying that, and this feeling comes up, yeah. I feel this, yeah, I could take the day off. I still do it. And that feels really good. You know, immediately as I start to do my exercise, that noise, it, it goes away, it disappears. It no longer, I'm not following it and I'm not adding to it. It's really beneficial to pay attention to something in our daily life, like maybe just you don't want to brush your teeth, but just do it. <laughs> you know, 
finding something that you're comfortable with making a commitment with that maybe you don't have a full commitment to, but you know is healthy for you. Just pick something. You don't have to pick it now, but pick something, commit to it. This is my intention because I know it's a healthy thing to do. So I, this is what I'm going to do. For me, it's my physical therapy. For you, it might be washing the dishes before you go to bed or whatever, mowing the lawn. That's a, that's a hard one. I'm just thinking I should do that, but I'm going to just stick with my physical therapy challenge <laughs> right now. And when, the, when that thought comes up, I don't have to do this today. I'm really busy <laughs> or whatever the excuse is, then just note it. Feel that little bit of, I don't want to follow through. Eh, feel that little bit of discomfort. I don't have to do this. Yeah, I don't have to do this and do it and see what you feel when you do it. Watch those thoughts just go away. You didn't feed them, they disappear. That feeling, eek, I don't wanna do it. And that emotional, yeah, that all goes away. And what's left is involvement in something that's wholesome, something that's beneficial. I followed through on my intention. That feels so good. That's how we can practice and engage. How am I doing with placing my mind where I want to place it and following through and then noticing what that feels like? Notice what goes away. Notice the results. What's gone and now what's present.